Welcome to Frontline Nursing, a podcast about frontline nurses in the COVID-19 era. Each month, we provide the tools nurses need to navigate the challenges they face during a pandemic. We will cover the state of the science, self-care, and other critical topics. My name is Dr. Reina Latorno, and I am your host. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Frontline Nursing, Ambition and Innovation. Our guest for this episode is Dr. Tim Raderstorff. Dr. Tim Raderstorff is the Chief Innovation Officer at The Ohio State University College of Nursing. He's also the Head of Academic Entrepreneurship at the Erdos Institute and the Chief Operating Officer of the nonprofit Nurses Everywhere. From TED Talks to textbooks, Tim uses every platform he can to empower those at the front lines to change healthcare. As the first nurse to hold the Chief Innovation Officer title in academia, he takes pride in educating the world on the role of the nurse as an innovator. He is the founder of the Innovation Studio, a makerspace that democratizes innovation, providing every interprofessional team that pitches their innovation with the funding, tools, and mentorship needed to turn ideas into actions. In addition to this work, Tim is an assistant professor of clinical practice in the Masters of Healthcare Innovation Program at Ohio State. Throughout his career, Tim has founded multiple businesses and has been the first employee for a profitable healthcare startup. His new textbook, co-authored with Bernadette Melnick, is titled Evidence-Based Leadership, Innovation, and Entrepreneurship in Nursing and Healthcare, A Practical Guide for Success. This book was number one as a new release on Amazon and the American Journal of Nursing's Management and Leadership Book of the Year. Some of Tim's recognitions include the Early Career Innovator of the Year and Distinguished Recent Alumni at The Ohio State University. The Innovation Studio was named Nonprofit of the Year by Columbus Business First in 2019, and Tim was most recently inducted into the 2020 Class of 40 Under 40 by Columbus Business First. I am excited to welcome our guest, Dr. Tim Raderstorff. Dr. Raderstorff, thank you so much for joining us today and being our guest on this episode of Frontline Nursing. I'd like to start by asking you to describe your role as Chief Innovation Officer. Um, How does your role as a Chief Innovation Officer empower frontline nurses to make changes? Thank you so much for having me. The role of the Chief Innovation Officer is, I think, really exciting for the profession of nursing. I've been in that role now since May of of 2016, which at the time we're recording this is coming up on on the five-year reunion anniversary of that. And, you know, the, the beauty of a role that's focused on innovation is that it's always evolving and we're always listening to our customer needs, who are our students, our faculty, our staff, and our, our frontline nurses, always trying to figure out how we can better help them turn their ideas into action. So my job on a daily basis changes, and it's a, it's a really exciting and privilege to have this role, but it, it's all geared towards helping nurses and those who have maybe been looked over for their skills to, uh, to have a voice and to, to bring their ideas to light. So we call that process democratizing innovation. And uh, we've taken a lot of different approaches to do that. Uh, my favorite is what we call the innovation studio. And that's, that's our democratizing innovation platform, which is really unique. Would you like for me to tell you a little bit about that now, or do you want to jump into frontline component of it? Um, whatever you're comfortable with. I actually love to hear more about that process now. And then okay. 
go into the front line, how it relates sure. to nurses, please. Sure. So uh, the innovation studio, if you if you want to close your eyes and think about this, it's basically, it started as a 16 by 16 cubicle. So think about a cubicle, but what's unique about this is everything but the walls are on wheels and we can take it to a different location on campus and have it set up in about two hours. So inside this cubicle, you're going to find all the things that you'd expect to find in maybe a shop class. So you've got hammers and drills and saws and, and cool things like that. But you also have really high tech things and, and there's 3D printers and laser cutters and sensors and things called Raspberry Pis and Arduinos. And if you don't know what those are, take a second to pause this and, and look those up. But basically, it's, it's this makerspace and it's called a makerspace because it's a place where you go to make things. And, you know, sometimes it's something usable. Sometimes it's a massive failure, but all the time it's a learning experience. And that's what we wanted to do was empower our students, faculty, and staff to start creating things, making things, and, and see if the ideas that they had in their brains could become something impactful in life. So that's what the, the innovation studio is. And we are big believers in the structure of innovation. So a lot of times uh, organizations focus on their culture of innovation and culture is incredibly important, but a culture of innovation can't thrive if there's not a formidable structure for it to be based upon. It needs that foundation. So the innovation studio is one of many ways that we've built a structure of innovation that will live beyond whatever chief innovation officer is there running the position, whoever is in charge of this, they may come and go, but, but the program and the foundation continues. And it's not just enough to have that physical space. You also have policies and things we call inspirational capital that incentivize people to engage in the process. So we have policies that really democratize innovation, unlike any other organization that you've seen or heard, because we do something at the Innovation Studio that, to the best of our knowledge, no one else is doing, and that's we fund every team. So any nurse who comes to us with an idea, any optometrist who comes to us with an idea, any engineer, it's, it's an interprofessional program, but anyone who comes to us with an idea, we guarantee them at least one round of funding. And then from there, we encourage them to go out and do something great with that capital. You know, it's, it, it's a microfinance or micro grant program. So we're only giving them $250 to $1,500 to get started. It's small dollars, but then they have six to eight weeks to go out and do something great with that. And then because our, our space is movable, you know, it's this movable cubicle, the next, after eight weeks, we moved to a new location and we have a pitch day and we ask those people to come in with new ideas. But we also ask people who've pitched to us before to come back and say what they did with that first round of funding that we gave them. And from there, they tell us their progress and they say, hey, you know, I think my next step is maybe to do X and that's going to cost us $600 and we're going to do that in the next eight weeks. And we say, great, here's that funding. Here's the resource that you need here. You know, you have access to all of our tools in the innovation studio, go out and, and do what you said you were going to do and then come back and ask for that next round of funding. So we've built this structure of innovation in place that democratizes innovation, gives everyone a voice, everyone a chance to bring their ideas to life. And because it's roving and movable, it causes these collisions and in, in individuals. So people are now meeting someone from across campus that they never would have met previously because they're hanging out in this cool space and finding that there's a lot of people with, with different backgrounds that have complementary skill sets that could help them find success, or, or maybe they uh, can add insight to an idea that from engineering or from the business school or, or something that they never thought that they could be impactful on. So that's the main way that through my role as the chief innovation officer, I focus on, on those at the front lines because 
you know, we know that the people who understand the problem the best are the best people to solve them. And that's why we want to democratize innovation and give those people at the front lines the opportunity to to have their voices heard and, and to try and solve problems for us. That's one of the big things that we're focusing on now during the pandemic uh, is making sure that nurses' voices are heard because we want to, we've seen what happens when we allow other people to to design the future of healthcare for us, just think of electronic health record. So it, it's time for nurses' voices to be heard. And I'm excited to talk more about that with you today. Thank you so much. And I love what you're doing as far as the interprofessionalism. Mm-hmm. Um, and thank you for letting us focus on the frontline nurses. And I agree with you. It's the people who are at the front line who see the problems are probably the ones best to come up with the ideas for changes. So can you give us some ideas that you have or some examples. So mm-hmm. my ne- and it's leading me to my next question, which is probably a two-part question. First, what changes do you see as necessary for the frontline nurses in order for them to be successful in their role? And then the second part of that question would be, are these the necessary changes, are they any different as a result of the pandemic? It's a great question. Let me, let me start on this last one. Is it different during the pandemic? I think the answer is no. I think the opportunity is much greater, but the things that we need to do are, are the same problems and the things that have maybe held nursing back from achieving its, its, its rightful status as the primary healthcare profession. I truly believe that you know nurses are delivering 90% of healthcare worldwide. Uh, we're the largest healthcare profession in the United States. And you know I, I think that developing a collective voice is something that has been one of the major hindrances to, to nurses advancing the profession. So collectively, I think we need to communicate more as profession. I think we need to set goals for our profession, and I think we need to develop structures that will allow us to achieve those goals. But that's at a pretty macro level. At a micro level, the one thing that I encourage every listener that you that's tuning in today to do is to start speaking up. So Shirley Chisholm who uh, was the first African-American congresswoman, said, if they don't give you a seat at the table, bring a folding chair. And I think that that's the mentality that nursing needs to take moving forward. And I think the pandemic is a catalyst and it's opening more doors. But I also think we need to have the courage to knock on doors and bring our folding chair and say, we need to be in this conversation. So that's I think there are so many initiatives and so many different things that we could focus on. But if we had to had to boil it down to one thing, it's making our voices heard and it's coming together, compromising as a profession on, on where we need this profession to go. And then using a blowhorn or a megaphone in every location that we go to talk about what nurses do, how we impact our community's health, and how we are positioned to really change healthcare in our country for the better if we were given the the recognition and the scope of practice, I frankly, I think deserves the right word, but I don't even think it's that we deserve it as nurses, it's that that our public deserves because all the evidence shows that we are incredibly effective caregivers and our involvement in public health is what moves the needle. You make some really, really great points. We, yes, nursing has to speak up and we have great impact on the health and wellness of our communities. But what are your thoughts about the health and wellness of nurses? How do you think that frontline nurses can be innovative regarding their own health and wellness? That's a major challenge right now. And I think I'm very interested in this topic, you know, not being in the front lines and not not being a frontline worker right now. 
I have the ability to empathize with that stress, but I haven't felt that. And I can only imagine how challenging this last year has been for those at the front lines and the focus that has been taken away from self-care and our own personal wellness. So again, to all your listeners out there, thank you so much for what you've done to nurse our country back to health in this last year. We know if we look to the evidence as to what our frontline staff could do, I think it goes back to that last answer too of of speaking up. So one of my least favorite terms uh, is resiliency. And I think resiliency and wellness has been a hot topic and not in a way that I'm too thrilled with because from an innovation perspective, resiliency means that you need to figure out how to work within an incredibly broken and flawed system. And I'm sure many of you at the front lines are feeling that way, that you are a cog in this system that no matter what you do right now, you're just being told to, to deal with it and, and work on your resiliency and work your way through it. Well, that puts the blame on you. So I'm not a fan of the term resiliency because I think what we need to transition to is ambition. And ambition has in the past maybe had some negative connotations with greed, uh, but I don't mean it that way. What I mean by ambition is recognizing that the system that you're in is broken and saying, I am going to be ambitious in resolving these issues. I'm going to accept the fact that the system is broken, call out the problems, speak up at the problems when I see them, and then I'm going to hold myself and our leadership accountable to solving those problems. So I'm not going to be resilient. I'm not going to try and figure out workarounds and and ways to exist in the system. I'm going to find ways to change the system. So that's what I would encourage everyone to do. I know that I'm saying that from a place of privilege. I'm not in your shoes right now, but I think that that's where we need to transition for, for not just nurses in healthcare, but everyone at the front lines to say, we see that this problem is broken and we need to come together as clinicians and design the future before someone else designs it for us. Imagine the power if all of our frontline nurses came together with that ambition and actually made change, we could possibly fix the broken system. And that would be amazing. And it wouldn't be easy. And we'd have to do things that are hard. Like, you know, we, we may have to say, we're not coming to work today to get our voices heard. We may have to do things, and I'm not advocating for that. I'm just, I want people to be prepared that we are going to have to make tough decisions. We're going to have to advocate for our patients. We're going to have to find ways to be a voice that is heard instead of a voice that's been pushed into the background, which I think is, is where we've been for a long time. Thank you. Thank you for that wisdom and sharing that your least favorite term is resiliency and then explaining to us why. And it makes so much sense. So thank you for that. It's actually my second least favorite term. Uh, that's my least favorite term for, for wellness and well-being. My, my least favorite term is nursing innovation, actually. So when, when we say nursing innovation, we put ourselves in a bubble and we are not allowing anyone else to be in that bubble because of the title nursing. But really what we're doing is healthcare innovation and community innovation and just innovation. So when we have topic and talk about nurse innovation, I promise you there aren't podcasts and conferences where we're talking about physician innovation or dentist innovation. They talk about all those things. They just call it innovation or entrepreneurship or leadership. And that's a mindset that we need to shift within our own profession to stop putting ourselves aside and defining ourselves too much by titles and instead defining ourselves by our capacity and our our capabilities. Super interesting point. 
And, you know, when we're thinking about nursing and how we're defining ourselves and keeping ourselves in that bubble, we have the potential to be the most powerful healthcare profession. You mentioned that nurses are the largest component of the U.S. healthcare workforce. And we know that we have 3.8 million registered nurses nationwide. So, so we have that opportunity to really explore and be the leaders in healthcare. Absolutely. And I, I don't know the number off the top of my head, but then we have all of our LPNs and our nursing assistants, everyone that flows within this model. And collectively, if we could figure out how to leverage that strength, to me, it's not about, it's not about power, it's about outcomes. And I think that is what our communities need the most, is nurses to be more involved in their health so that we can move to a, from a, you know, a sick care system to a well care system. Yes. And nurses can impact that community's health and move them from the sickness to health. And I hope that you can talk to us a little bit more about that and nurses' role in moving communities to a place of health. You've recently been a part of a process to initiate a new coalition that is committed to improving health outcomes for the people of our nation. Can you tell us a little bit about that, please? Yeah, thanks for the opportunity. So the organization that, that you're referring to is called Nurses Everywhere, and this was founded in April of 2020. So we have an amazing cohort of founding members. I encourage you to go to our website and look them up, but we're, we're talking, you know, the current and past presidents of the American Nurses Association, uh, some of the top entrepreneurs in, in nursing, some of the best thought leaders when it comes to policy development, and just really great people who are incredibly passionate, interested in changing the model of healthcare to and the public's view of what nurses can do or what not can do, but what nurses actually do to improve healthcare. So Nurses Everywhere is, is a nonprofit organization that's focused on partnering with the public. It's not a nursing organization. It is an organization for public health. And we have developed a lot of different things over the past year. But one of the key things that we wanted to do was to see if we can move beyond understanding the, the public's view of nurses as being the most trusted profession. That's a great, a great honor that we've received for you know many, many, many years. The people always say it's, it's 18 or 19 years that we've had that running. But the one year that we didn't have that was 2002, which was right after 9-11. And firefighters and police officers had that role for that year, but nursing had that most trusted role for, for many years leading up to that. So trust is a huge component of the nursing profession, and at least in the eyes of, of the public, but we wanted to see what else the public thought about nursing. So we, we worked with the Harris Poll, and we found out that 90% of Americans want, or 89% of Americans want the same access to nurses after the pandemic as they're having before that. So all of the policy changes that I believe were incredibly, incredibly thoughtful and sound uh, to expand scope of practice for nurse practitioners and allow nurses to move from state to state without licensure changes. Those are all things that really help the public and the, the public wants those things to continue. We also found that 91% of Americans believe that there should be safe staffing ratios in hospitals, and 90% thought that there should be safe staffing ratios in nursing homes, and a variety of other different things. So I encourage you to go to our website and look up our policy brief that we found that, that we were able to develop that kind of outlines this, this Harris poll and the data that showcases how the public views nurses as clinicians and moving beyond that trusted aspect. And then one of the other things that we're, we're trying to do is change the way 
that the public sees nurses. So if you think back to think back to the, your first introduction to a nurse in the media, you know, it probably wasn't an expert on the nightly news. It was probably stereotypical woman who was either sassy or overly sexualized and put into some type of, of role on TV, or it was a male nurse who was being made fun of for his profession. Those are the ways that the media has has typically portrayed nursing in the past. And that, while that can be done without poor intention, I think that that's also changed the perspective of the public of what nurses are and what they do. So we're, we're trying to have more conversations and encouraging our nurses to have conversations with their families about what actually goes on on a day-to-day basis. And, and not just the families that they live in their houses with, but their extended families, because one in every 10 families in the United States contains a nurse. And we think that that's an amazing opportunity for this nursing and public partnership to start having more dialogue about what it means to be a nurse and how nurses can help our communities grow. And the way that we're doing that is we've partnered with a country music duo named Brown and Gray, and they wrote a song over the winter that we're deeming the Nurses Week anthem. It's called You Didn't Have to, and it it talks about the sacrifices that that nurses have made during this process or during the pandemic. But we produced and directed the music video for that song that debuted on Christmas Eve and now has over 125, 130,000 views on, on YouTube. But we're also encouraging the public to engage in a, in a contest with us. So we're having the, this really fun contest where people are supposed to make their own videos using the song. So it can be a dance, it can be uh, people holding up signs or, or just uh, kids pretending to be nurses. Lots of really touching videos being submitted right now. But the hope behind this is that the public is recognizing nurses for the work that they've done and saying back to us, we want to be your partners as, as you're partnering with us to make our health better. We want to partner with you to make sure that you have the policies in place and the infrastructure in place to be the best nurses you can be for our communities. So Nurses Everywhere has been an incredibly, incredibly exciting opportunity and for anyone interested in getting involved, please visit our website. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to hear how you think you could get more involved with your community and help your community's voice be elevated. Thank you. Thank you for explaining the coalition and thank you for inviting our audience to be a part of it. And if they wanted to learn more, they can visit your website at nurseseverywhere.com. Really important work and I'm looking forward to see what's coming from that in the future. Thank you again for doing that. Our pleasure. Tim, you've given us some great things to think about as we move forward, and we've had great conversation today. And again, I thank you for your time and your conversation. Do you have any last remarks before we conclude? Absolutely. Thanks for that opportunity. Two things to recognize here. One is all the advice and everything I've said today has come from a place of immense privilege. So cisgendered white male grew up in a house with with two parents who were in middle class and and were able to provide me with a lot of resources. So that has set me up for success in ways that I recognize many people do not have. And that's really important for a variety of reasons, but also when it comes to innovation, it's really important because innovation is really a lot about risk tolerance. And because of the privilege I've had, I may have a different level of risk tolerance than all of you listening. So I encourage you to just recognize that as part of this conversation. If you're, if you're excited about this work, this is amazing. Let's continue talking about it. If you feel like this isn't capable for you, that's okay too. And we may come from different places of privilege and know that I am working diligently to try and 
shrink that gap so that there's opportunity for everyone. And that's why we've developed our, our process of democratizing innovation. But the other thing that I want to talk to you about is your permission slip. So innovation is absolutely a core competency of nursing. And you can look back to the work that Florence Nightingale did and, and call all of that the birth of innovation in nursing. But I think innovation has certainly been a core competency. And we actually teach you it. It's ADPI. It's the nursing process. That's an innovation and entrepreneurial mindset. It's just framed in a different way. All of this is within you. And I want you to know that you don't need your manager's permission. You don't need your director's permission to be innovative. You have that this is listening to this is your permission slip. And I highly encourage you to take that to heart and to go out and be the voice that we need you to be and start making the changes that you have the capacity to make. Thank you. Thank you for giving us that permission. And I look forward to seeing what our nursing profession does with that permission. I anticipate that we will continue to make great impact on our community's health and wellness. And I'm looking forward to really reflecting on ambition and all that means for our profession. So thanks again, Tim. I appreciate your time and thank you to Ohio State University for sharing your expertise with us. It's my pleasure, Raina. Thank you so much for having me and everyone out there, be curious. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Frontline Nursing. This podcast is made possible thanks to generous funding by Florida philanthropists, Mr. David Kotak and Ms. Christine Slesinger. If you liked this episode, please check out our educational series, Frontline Nursing During COVID-19, A New Paradigm, presented by the University of South Florida College of Nursing. The Frontline Nursing Program is designed to give frontline nurses the tools they need to advocate for their safety and well-being during the COVID-19 pandemic. Nurses may receive four CEUs at no cost, thanks to funding from our generous donors. For more information, email us at frontlinenursing at usf.edu. This is the podcast that frontline nurses need.